last few weeks, we've all been through a battle. And the enemy only comes after people or churches that he's afraid of. All of us. Uh, and you have to be able to learn to recognize how the devil works and uh, learn to rest in God. Learn to totally believe. This is what has always helped me through my life is I know one thing. Whether I understand God or not, and most of we don't. He said, my ways are not your ways. And you'll never think like I think, not till we get to the other side. But this is what will keep you on the rock if you totally can get to a place to where you believe that God is never wrong. He's never wrong. And he said this, he said, I know that my thoughts towards you are good and they're not bad. They're not evil. And... Um, I wanted to say thank you for the tremendous prayer support. My God, I don't know if we could have walked out the victory that we've walked out without the prayers of this church and uh, felt tremendous strength from the body of Christ. And I want you to know how much I love you and how much I appreciate you standing in the gap for us. And um, I really believe that a lot of what we went through was the devil trying to shut me up. And we're not going to be quiet. We're going to declare the word of the Lord. Amen. If that's the best the devil has, then he loses. All right? And for many of you, you have survived the onslaught of the enemy. You hold your ground. Hallelujah. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord, hallelujah, will deliver you and I out of them all. I think what the church has really missed over the last 15 or 20 years, there's been such a pursuit of growth, wanting the world to accept us, being palatable to the unbeliever, never realizing that we were at war with hell. We are at war. Today in this building, our worship, we are at war with the enemy. While I preach to you, we are at war with the enemy. You have to understand that. You are at a war, you're at war with the enemy. And the devil does not fight fair. He's a Democrat. <clears throat> Did I say that out loud? I apologize for that. <laughs> Lord have mercy. <clears throat> for all the Democrats, I do love you. I'm just praying for you. <clears throat> Amen. Well, at least in this church, you never have to worry about where pastor stands, huh? <clears throat> Amen. Got to have a little humor every once in a while. Um, this is a thought that I want to preach today that been kind of just turning over in my spirit uh, for the last couple of weeks, and I've attempted um, to try to get, get a handle on it, and God would give me thoughts, and I would write them down on my phone when I was praying. It wasn't really until this morning that I was able to kind of put some kind of order to what I'm hearing the Lord say. Um, in the book of Matthew, chapter 12 and verse 25, it says, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation or ruin. And every house <clears throat> divided against itself shall not stand. So the Bible is very clear here. He says, a kingdom, if there is a kingdom, but there is division in the kingdom, it will never be successful. This is why the enemy will come in to divide and to cause schisms in marriages, in homes, in churches. Even in the secular realm, this principle works. In businesses, in offices, if there is division, friction, 
where people are not on the same page. They don't have the same vision. They're not pursuing the same goals. What happens is when one person begins to take the right direction, another person will sabotage it because they don't want that person to get credit or the enemy does not want that success. So the Lord recognized this principle and he said it. He said every kingdom or every house that does not have unity. No wonder the Lord said there are three things that I hate. A proud look, a lying tongue, and he who sows discord amongst the brethren. You know, I've, 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 this has always been baffling to me as a pastor. If you don't like the church, leave. Don't stay and try to change. You're not going to change it. If I, I, there were churches that I went to I didn't like, so I left. Went found some place that I felt like I was more in tune with. And the Lord, he also said this, he said, no man can serve two masters. You cannot give your affections, your emotions, your loyalty and your devotion to two different masters. Because either you're gonna love one and you're going to hate the other. So you cannot have two authorities in the same house. You can't have uh, two powers. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning it was God who created the earth. Then verse 2, it says, And God looked down on the earth, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Now we know that God is light. So immediately we have a problem here, because God does not create darkness. Darkness is not a thing. It's the absence of light. So it does not have its own source of life. It's the darkness is the absence of God. This is why so many people have such confusion in their life is because there's no God. Because he is the light of the world. So God looks down. It says that darkness was on the face of the deep, or the waters. This is what darkness means in the original. Misery, destruction, sorrow, wickedness, obscurity. Darkness will not let you see clearly what God wants. So God looks down on the earth, and there's this darkness, there's this misery and destruction and sorrow and wickedness. All of these things are on the face of the waters. So it says that God came down and the Spirit of God moved. One of its meanings, and the Hebrew means it to shake. And God shook, hallelujah, the face or the presence of darkness. And he met darkness face to face and he began to deal with darkness. Why? Because darkness was delayed or impending the eternal purpose of God. Because God never intended for you and I to live in sorrow, wickedness, despair, sorrow, and obscurity. So God said, you are a hindrance to my eternal purpose. So God came down, shook, hallelujah, the presence of darkness. Then he said, let there be light. So in the days that we live in right now, most believers would say it's a dark time. 
especially in other countries. Canada, for example, is in horrible lockdown. They just passed a law that banks, at their own desire, can freeze anybody's bank account. A lot of different places, you cannot go into a restaurant and eat unless you have a vaccine card. What is, it's a dark time. And so unless you understand who God is, you will begin to accept the darkness that is trying to envelop you. And what God wants is when he gives you and I revelation, when we encounter the enemy, we do not bow down and throw in the towel. We don't say no moss. Hallelujah. We look at him and say, that's what you do, but now it's our turn. Can I tell you, we may have buried somebody a few weeks ago, but now it's our turn, hallelujah, to loose resurrection life by the power of the Lord. What is God doing? The God that you and I serve is a victorious God. So as powerful as darkness is, In fact, the first enemy that the Bible says that God ever encountered was darkness. And yet, I love this verse, for King, 1 Kings 8, 12, it says this, the Lord said that he would dwell or he would rest in thick darkness. That means that when the enemy is at his strongest place, his strongest intent, that God said, I conquered darkness. I came down into the midst of it. And when the battle was over, instead of the light being out, darkness was gone. So God said, I rest in thick darkness. In other words, there is nothing about darkness that moves God. So God almost became one with darkness, and when he came out of it, he came out in authority. Isaiah 9-2 says, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. This is referring to Jesus Christ being born. Now, in John 1 and 5, it says this, the light shined in darkness, speaking of Jesus when he came to the earth, and the darkness comprehended it not. Comprehend means to take possession of or to make one's own. Why could not darkness, when Jesus was born, be able to take, dark, to, to take the light? Because John 1, 5, I think it says this, Jesus is the light of the world. Why was it that darkness that people were walking in could not take a hold of the light and put it out? Because in Genesis 1, 2, God had already conquered darkness. And from the very moment that the Bible begins to record God said, I took the first enemy, darkness, and I named it, hallelujah, night. And I put my foot on its neck, and I declared that darkness will never rule and reign in the earth as long as there is light in the world. You may be going through the darkest time of your life, but I can say this, weeping may endure for a night, but there is a morning coming where there is joy. It does not matter how dark it looks. It doesn't matter how hell rages. The Spirit of the Lord is not done yet. For God to conquer things, he almost, in fact, he would, he would allow himself to be put in such a position that it looked like the enemy overpowered him. In fact, you know, the Bible talks about that, that we are 
the sheep of his pasture. The, in Jesus' time, the greatest enemy of the lamb was a lion. In Palestine, if you go to Israel now, they don't really have lions anymore. But in Jesus' time, there were many lions that roved throughout the, throughout the land. And they were an enemy of the sheep. Amos talks about it. My wife preaches a great message on this. Where the shepherd took out of the mouth of the lion the two legs and part of an ear of the lamb. And yet, God deals with the enemy in such a way that he breaks down the division. Because in the book of Revelations, John is in the midst of this prophetic unveiling of divine revealing of God. And he said, I wept because there was no one worthy to open the scrolls. And he said, all of a sudden I heard a voice that said, don't weep. Behold the lion of Judah. But he said, when I turned, I didn't see a lion. I saw a lamb. What happened? God took the entity between the lion and the lamb out, and he made them one. That no longer can the enemy come in and destroy you and I. Because in our weakest moment, the lion is not the enemy, but he has become the protector of the people of God. God will take the weapons that the enemy will devise. Doesn't the Bible say this? That all things work together for good. He didn't say, I will stop all things or I will prevent all things. Actually, this verse really should not read all things work together for good. It should read bad things work together for good. Because we already know good things are good. But he said all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And many, many times what the devil means for evil, God will reverse it and turn it around until the enemy wishes, I wish I hadn't done that. Hallelujah, because you bury a lamb, but you resurrect a lion. So God, his intent is to deal with the things that come along that are after God's people. I love this verse because Psalms 85 and 10 talks about mercy and truth and righteousness and peace. And many times truth is the enemy of peace. Truth will come forth and it will unveil itself but out of it, it will cause conflict. And the righteousness of God in the Old Testament didn't talk about mercy. You messed up in the Old Testament. You shoplifted in the Old Testament, you got your hand cut off. You smarted off to your parents, you got executed. You're a homosexual, you were killed. You committed adultery, you were stoned. There ain't nothing in there about mercy. Righteousness. You say, well, that's not righteous. Yes, it is. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the righteousness of the law. And God saw, hallelujah, that you and I needed something because there was a division there. And Psalm says, I saw a day when righteousness and truth 
kissed each other, hallelujah, and became one by the Spirit of the Lord, that today, in spite of our weaknesses, hallelujah, the blood of the Lamb washes away our sins, and righteousness embraces truth, and God brings us on to another dimension. So, we know we're flesh. Psalm 78 and 38 says, but he, being full of compassion, speaking of Jesus, forgave their iniquities and destroyed them not. Verse 39 says, for he remembered they were but flesh. You know, when you read the Old Testament and you think about the Israelites, it's mercy God he didn't kill them all. Now, we do know that when they came out of Egypt, they wandered for 40 years. When I was reading one theologian, I think it might have been Charles Spurgeon, he said with the... uh, several million people that there were of Israel that came out of the land of Egypt. He said for all of them to die that were 20 years old and up within a 40-year period, he said Moses had to deal with an average of 40 funerals a day. That's a lot of funerals. Every single day for 40 years there were an average of 40 funerals amongst the Israelites because of unbelief that that was the death rate back then and the day the last one died God said now you're going to come over into the land of Canaan And the Bible says that the only reason, now that death rate was a natural death rate, all right? God just didn't come in like the 10 spies. Remember the 10 spies that, that came back with the report, the evil report? The Bible said that when they came, and got, came back and gave that report, it said God killed all 10 of them right there. And this is why. The scripture says because they melted the spirit or they broke the heart of the people, and the people wept. Woe to shepherds who break the spirit of people in this hour and take our hope away because God will hold them accountable because it's our job, it's my calling to build faith in this house and to the online community that watches. And the Bible said the only reason that God didn't annihilate the entire nation of Israel, it says, because he knew they were but flesh. To me, outside of seeing Jesus, the greatest thing about being in heaven is that I will not have an old nature. Do you ever get tired of fighting it? Every day you fight it. You can't stop the thoughts that come. You have the authority to, to cast them down. But this constant war with the old man, I hate it with a passion. And the struggles that we walk through. Why is that? Because we are flesh. And God knew that. So the only way that God could break the power of that failing nature called flesh. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was with, a Word was God. Then I think it drops down there somewhere around verse 14, and it says, and God was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Here's why you and I live victorious. Because the power of flesh 
came into contact with flesh, hallelujah, that had never had any sin in it. And God allowed himself to come down to the level of humanity and a fleshly nature. But every time hell came to tempt God in flesh, he hit a brick wall because flesh would say, it is written, it is written, it is written. What was it? He walked in authority. He walked in power. You and I today walk in victory because Jesus Christ allowed himself to be wrong and it looked like the greatest failure of history flesh but when flesh got on the eternal got on the divine nature of God flesh fell away and died and out of it came the eternal nature of God in flesh and that's you and I Paul calls it this the great mystery of the ages is that it is God in flesh that God dwells among us. So God defeated flesh by becoming flesh. God defeated darkness by living in darkness. God defeated, hallelujah, the law by allowing the law to put him to death. So now, one of the, the greatest battles that you and I fight is sin. How many fight sin? If you don't fight it, you're not breathing. Sin is actually called, in the scripture, a sin nature. David said... I was born into sin, but I was shaped in iniquity. Iniquity is more than sin. It's the nature. You don't have to sin to be a sinner. We were born sinners. This is where the church really messes up in this day and age. We think that if we abstain from sin, then we're born again. No. This is why the Bible says you have to be born again. Because God cannot redeem the old nature. He doesn't rehabilitate it. Seeker-friendly churches rehabilitate a fallen nature. That's why there's no authority and no power. Because a rehabilitated old man is still an old man. And you cannot have authority unless you are born again of water and of spirit. And you take on a new nature of Jesus Christ. So it wasn't enough for the blood to be shed. It wasn't enough for Jesus' blood to be shed. Because all the blood did was wash away our sins. But it didn't change our nature. A lot of people today constantly have to take blood baths because their nature's never been changed. I thank God for the power of the blood. But the blood <clears throat> did not conquer sin. What conquered sin? 2 Corinthians 5.21 For the Father hath made Jesus to be sin. For us, he knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. So what did God do? He looked down and saw the enemy of humanity called sin. And he said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. So Jesus, who knew no sin, the Father made him sin. He just didn't take on our sins. He was made sin. But when you take a sinless man, 
and you make him sin, there is this metamorphosis that begins to take place. Somebody's dying. And in the midst of Jesus being made sin, sin did not triumph over a sinless lamb. The sinless lamb got rid of sin and conquered sin. And you and I today walk in divine authority and power because Jesus was made sin. But when he was made sin, he came out of the battle not divided, not messed up, no division. There wasn't a sin nature and a God nature in you and I, but we are crucified with Christ nevertheless we live yet not I but Christ lives within me today we walk in victory because Jesus just didn't take on sin he became sin so do you see the principle he dwells in darkness so darkness has no authority. He became flesh and took the sting of the power of flesh out because that flesh, hallelujah, was conquered by the power of God. Whenever the enemy becomes embroiled with God, there is never an ending of that battle in truce. There are no two victors. There are no two victors at all. There's a loser and there's a winner. And God knew that. So what he was dealing with was the foundational areas of yours and mine's life. This is why I believe with all of my heart that we are going to see in the year 2022 the greatest victory that we've ever seen. Why? Because God does his best work in the dark. Hallelujah. He does his best work in the dark. So God destroys darkness, he robs us of authority, he destroys flesh and robs us of its, of its power, of its nature. Then he destroys sin by becoming sin. <clears throat> and then, <clears throat> one of the biggies that we deal with is sickness. And I believe that we are entering in now to <clears throat> the greatest dimension of healing that we've ever seen. <clears throat> when all of our family prayed over Josh after he passed and we stayed in that room for three hours and we prayed the prayer of faith, I'm telling you, we prayed a prayer of faith that will raise the dead. Now, Josh didn't come back from the dead, and I think we all have some explanation there. But I can tell you this. We loosed enough prayer in the atmosphere. Somebody's coming back from the dead. <clears throat> My word will not return unto me void. Say, so how can that be? We're going to go through the scriptures here. Because we live in a fleshly tabernacle, our bodies are temporal. And from the day that we're born, there is a virus in all of us that is loosed, and it's called sin. That sin virus, I'm not talking about our renewed man, though the inner man is renewed day by day, the outward man perisheth it. God will never, ever let this natural body that you and I are in ever be in heaven. That's why the Bible says in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall all be changed. We'll receive a glorified body. We will look like we look now, just with some improvements. 
look young. There's no gray hair in heaven. No wrinkles. I'm not talking about being short because I keep getting emails from people that say I should be content with the fact that God made me short. So, <clears throat> But because this natural body, this temporal body, the one that's not been redeemed, we are susceptible to sickness in our bodies. And even more than that, you cannot stop the virus of sin in the natural body because the longer you live, more life begins to leak. The color of your hair disappears. I used to have black hair. Many of you had it. The women, I don't know what color your hair was. <clears throat> Nobody knows what color your hair is. Because <laughs> don't be looking at me like that. <clears throat> But, you know, I remember when I was 44, I'm reading, I love to read, and I'm reading, and I'm going, man, what is wrong with this book? And I'm doing this, and <clears throat> I'm thinking, how, you know, I used to travel evangelize, you know, I'm late 20s, early 30s. I had a, a pocket Bible that I could not read now with a magnifying glass, literally. <laughs> I did. I got a magnifying glass out the other day, and I held it like that, and I was doing that, trying to read. And I'm thinking, how in the world did I ever read this? I mean, I could sit in a plane in dim light, and I'm reading that thing so good. Now, you know, I have to wear glasses. Why? Because of the sin virus. My eyes are slowly dying. Your vitality is slowly dying. And we fight sicknesses in this natural body. But God knew that. It is the intent of God for you to live up to at least 80 years old. That's what Psalm says. To live to at least be 80. And not in wheelchairs. And not on oxygen tanks. And not barely able to get around and somebody to take you to the bathroom. That's not quality of life. God meant for you, hallelujah, to be, I think it was like Isaac, when he was 175 years old. <clears throat> he just gathered up his knees and went on out. God does not want us to leave the earth racked with cancer. God does not, it is not the will of God for you to get up every day and take an insulin shot because of diabetes. It's not the will of God for you to have to take all kinds of pills for arthritis. It is the will of God, hallelujah, though you're 60 or 70 years old, that you have strength, life, and vitality. So what do you do with the sickness that gets in our bodies? God got sick that you and I might get well because Matthew 8, 17 says Jesus himself took our infirmities and he let the devil put on him our sickness. And when that sickness and those infirmities got on, hallelujah, this man who knew no sin when they laid those stripes on his back, never in the New Testament does it ever once mention that Jesus couldn't heal because he was sick that day. Jesus didn't get sick. Why? Because of the authority and revelation he had as God manifested in flesh. So he saw a day when you and I might encounter sickness. And that day the Bible says that Jesus let them lay 40 stripes on him. They begin to hit him. And every time they hit him, Jesus is saying, there goes arthritis. There goes diabetes. There goes blindness. There goes cancer. 
hallelujah, lay it on because he became sick that you and I might become righteous and healed by the power of God. So we're going to keep on praying for the terminally ill. We're going to keep on praying for incurable diseases. Why? Because Jesus met sickness head on. And at the end of the battle, sickness is laying on the cabinets and God is standing victorious. People get so worried about the future, about what's going to happen down the road. God does not want you to worry about the days ahead. Because the moment that you begin to try to figure out what the future is going to hold, you open a door to demon spirits that will not tell you anything good. That demon spirit ain't going to come in and go, you know, I bet in five years you'd be a millionaire. It's, you know, probably your company's going to downsize and you're going to get laid off when you're 48 and you don't have any retirement. What are you going to do? And it's, I bet your kids don't make it. And you know, your family has a history of cancer. You're going to get cancer too. So, you know, here we are at the beginning because we don't know the end. This is why the Lord said, take no thought for tomorrow because you don't know what it holds. He said, you let tomorrow take care of tomorrow. So what did the Lord do? He said, I tell you what. He said, I am the beginning, but I'm also the end. He said, I'm the first, but I've already got to the last part of your life. He said, I am the alpha, but he said, I'm also the omega. So he said, you let me worry about it because I already see the end of your life. And my thoughts towards you are good and not evil. <clears throat> So I'll give you one more point before we finish today. There, uh, in fact, the Bible says this, and going through what we went through as a family recently with death, um, the Bible says the last enemy that ever going to be destroyed is death. And I told the Lord, <clears throat> this may not sound like a Christian, but I mean it with every fiber of my being. I hope he has the most miserable, slow death ever when death is destroyed. Because evidently death is an entity. It is a thinking entity that has literally destroyed billions of lives as slowly and as painful as possible. And I told God, I said, let me be present when you take death out because I hope you make it as painful as possible. You know, I have some people, <clears throat> you know, they believe the devil's going to be saved. No, he ain't. You know, there's some people I met, they're so nice, they got good stuff to say about the devil. <clears throat> the devil is going to roast in the lake of fire forever and ever for what he has done to God's children. Hallelujah. You need to get angry in the Holy Ghost. You need to come against him. And think about it. If the Lord says, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy, hurt him back. You say, how do I hurt him back? Get full of the Holy Ghost. Fast. Pray. Go to church. Get the word in you that you can get the enemy defeated.
So death is a, it's something that we're, there's nothing in us to deal with. And Jesus being the seed of many brethren, Jesus was born to die. He wasn't born to just be a minister and preach for three and a half years. He wasn't born to do miracles. The only purpose for Jesus' birth was to die. And so the greatest enemy that Jesus <clears throat> knew that we encountered was death. He conquered darkness by living in it. He conquered flesh by becoming flesh. He conquered sin <clears throat> by being literally made sin. He conquered sickness by allowing himself to become one with sickness. So how does he conquer death? <clears throat> he has to allow death to get a hold of him. But before he ever encountered death, he named himself Resurrection. Because he realized, I'm getting ready to go to the greatest battle that man has ever encountered with the enemy. So he said, I am resurrection and life. And he would go around, he'd say, go ahead and destroy this temple. But in three days, I will raise it back up. Oh, can I tell you, Jesus did not go into this unprepared. And you and I are not entering this final battle in the earth without some preparation by the power of the anointing of God. So one day, Jesus walks into the presence of death. And he made this statement. He said, I lay down my life, John 10, 17, that I might take it up again. And I love this. He said, no man taketh it from me. He looked at death and said, you, you don't have the power to take my life. He said, but I need to defeat you, so I've got to become what you are. He said, no man takes my life. He said, but I lay it down of myself. He said, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. Why? Because he had already called himself resurrection. Up until this point, death has really never been defeated. Because Lazarus is going to die again. The man that fell on Elisha's bones went ahead lived a few years and died. Jesus wasn't talking about natural life. He was talking about eternal life. And he said, devil, you are going to encounter not a man, but God in flesh. And they got in the ring. And when the devil went back to give him a right cross, Jesus just laid down. Hallelujah. He said, I'm laying down my life. The enemy jumped on him, got him, began to beat him, pluck out his beard, pluck his side. Uh, everything he could do uh, until death stood over Jesus uh, and said, I'm one. Uh, and there was no breath in Jesus. Uh, but on the third day, hallelujah, there was a move of the Holy Ghost uh, that began to stir inside of that tomb. Uh, and death began to get knocked around he didn't know what hit him and Jesus stood up and said I have conquered death hell and the grave hit him with the right cross down with the devil and you and I today have eternal life there is nothing that's going on in your life that Jesus hasn't already been through as my prayer partners come and my musicians, 
This is why I know that God, go ahead and stand with me. This is why I know that to those of you that are watching me from Australia and Canada and France and Germany and around the world that are under lockdown, I prophesy to you by the Spirit that there is a knockout punch coming to darkness in your countries. Because the Bible says before Jesus comes back, the gospel will be preached to the whole world. Hallelujah. To those of you that are sorrowful, the Bible said he was acquainted with sorrow. If you're dealing with grief, it said that Jesus took on grief. Hallelujah. There is nothing, there is nothing from the balconies to those of you watching around the world, there is nothing that Jesus has not conquered. And that's why the last thing that he ever said it is finished. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about KCM International or Regeneration Nashville, go to KentChristmas.org or RegenerationNashville.org. And for the latest updates or videos, follow us on Facebook and subscribe to us on YouTube. God bless you.